Good morning again and welcome. As I said, my name is Craig Thompson and I'm the senior pastor here, which really means more than anything else that it's my fault if anything goes wrong. So uh, we, are, we are so thankful that you can be with us. Listen, um, this is going to be a part of my sermon in just a moment. I, when I go off the cuff, I make everybody on our staff nervous. So, um, but uh, it, it's, it's, as you all are well aware, it's, it's been 20 years since 9-11. Yesterday, in, in my quiet time, actually, as I was journaling, I just reflected on 20 years, right? How the world has changed. The other thing I reflected on was, was what the world was like right after 9-11. Uh, how our churches were full. George W. Bush gave a, a really wonderful speech yesterday. I wore my blue suit in honor of George W. Bush today. Um, because I, but it's just such a wonderful speech about how the world, our country was so different in those days following 9-11 with um, neighbors helping neighbors and people loving one another. And so here's where we're going to go off the cuff for just a minute, okay? Don't make, don't make me sorry for this, okay? Uh, we're going to do something that we have not done in 18 months. All right? I'm, I'm, but here's what I want you to do, okay? Don't make me regret this. Before I preach, I want everybody to stand up. Stand up. Here we go. It's good. Everybody. Okay? I just want you to find somebody and say, don't, don't, don't go far. You. You stay right where you are. <laughs> don't get in anybody's face. Be respectful of everybody's personal space. Find somebody and just let them know that you love them and you're glad they're here. Do that real quickly. All right? Now I've got to be like the elementary school teacher raising my hand. Can you hear me? All right. If you can hear me, sit down. If you're ignoring me, sit down anyway. All right. It's been 20 years. 20 years. And 20 years ago yesterday, we hurt... And we hurt for a long time, but man, I'm going to tell you, there was, there was something special about the love that we had for neighbors. And, and I think that 20 years removed with 18 months of, of all the other things that we've been through in the last 18 months or so, that, that we, we, we know what it's like to desperately need community. That's, that's one of the reasons why, as the church, we are so committed here at Malvern Hill to doing everything we can and why we have been committed since April of last year, of 2020, to making sure that church happened. There were times when church didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. There was a lot of times when we sweated or we, we were cold in a parking lot. But we believe that the church is essential because it is Christ's church. And we've come together to celebrate something greater than this world has to offer and to look forward to a world where there will be no more fear, no more terror, no more shame. Uh, where justice will be served because we know this, Christ has died for all. And it will be all in all in Him. And so we look forward to those days. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. As you are turning there, next Sunday is an important day in our church. Uh, hopefully, 
you read the newsletter, but for the 98% of you who didn't, then I need to let you know that next Sunday we will be nominating members for our refocus team. Um, and uh, if you don't remember what that is, go back and look at the newsletter and it will remind you. But we, we presented a plan several months back uh, that would be a four-pronged approach for what would guide our church in the, next, in the coming years. And it would be an, 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 effort on our church, uh, an, an effort for our church to better engage the community around us to reach our community, an effort for our church to make sure that we meet the needs of our church body today and into the coming years, an effort for our church to do a better job at reaching the nations from, from right here, and an effort for our church to do all that we can to invest in other churches around us. So those are the four things that will be guiding our church body in the coming years. And what we're going to do is we're putting together a team. There will be eight people on that team, four men and four women, nominated from within our church body, uh, which is what you're going to do next week. Those, uh, those eight people will help to develop uh, a plan, a concrete plan or stretched across that very flimsy skeleton that will guide our church into the future. So uh, please be in prayer about that. Those nominations will be made available next Sunday. You'll have a week to, to turn those in so that uh, you've got this week to pray about it. You'll have those nominations. We will make them available electronically as well so that uh, that opportunity will be there. But please be in prayer about that. Uh, about the people that God would have you to choose that could serve to help our church to navigate into the future. Hopefully by now you've made it to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Y'all, I'm having a hard time finding anything in my Bible this morning. Y'all going to question whether or not y'all should trust me as your pastor if I can't find the things I need. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you. <laughs> Stand with me in honor of God's word. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other, uh, other high officials and satraps because, he was an excellent, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish, that the injunction, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before, as before, thanks before his God as he had done previously. Let's pray together. Father God, would you give us the wisdom of Daniel, the faith of Daniel, Lord God? Would you give us the commitment of Daniel, Father? Even more, Lord God, would you help us to understand and better know the God of this Daniel? Speak to us through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. How must you live for Christ in a pagan culture? This weekend we remember 9-11. 20 years ago, 20 years ago yesterday, America changed. We learned all over again then that the world can be a dangerous place, that evil is real, that the greatest resource 
of America is not oil, crops, or technology. The greatest resource is her people. On 9-11, America was attacked and the American people fought back. Ordinary Americans showed us what courage looks like. Ordinary Americans displayed extraordinary courage to protect our country and our people. Former President George W. Bush yesterday said, The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people. Todd Beamer was a Christian man with a pregnant wife and two children. As you are no doubt aware by now, Todd Beamer was on Flight 93, and Todd Beamer was part of a group of passengers who decided they would not be pawns in a terrorist evil scheme. If you haven't, I would encourage you to take time to read through the entire phone transcript between Todd Beamer and the operator named Lisa. But I would like to share part of it with you this morning, the very end of it. Breathing a little heavier, Todd said, The plane seems to be changing directions just a little. It's getting pretty rough up here. The plane is flying real erratic. We're not going to make it out of here. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. I have talked with the others. We've decided that we would not be pawns in these hijackers' suicidal plot. Lisa said, Todd, what are you going to do? Todd said, we've hatched a plan. Four of us are going to rush the hijacker with the bomb. After we take him out, we'll break into the cockpit. A stewardess is getting some boiling water to throw at the hijackers at the controls. We'll get them, and we'll take them out. Lisa, will you do one last thing for me? She said, yes, what is it? She said, would you pray with me? And they prayed together, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our trespassers. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. They went on to quote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Todd, in a softer voice, prayed, God, help me. Jesus, help me. He then cleared his throat <clears throat> and louder said, Are you guys ready? Let's roll. Those are the last words that we had from Todd Beamer. What investigators were later to piece together is that it appears that Todd Beamer and several other men and women on that plane actually were able to wrest control of that plane from the terrorists. It crashed in Pennsylvania upside down at 563 miles an hour. As we remember 9-11 and we reflect on how Americans fought back against terrorism in those days, folks, it can be tempting for us to do more than remember. It can be tempting for us to cling to a similar kind of militaristic spirit in our daily Christian lives. We celebrate the commitment, the courage, the patriotism even of men and women like Todd Beamer, but the struggle we live with in a pagan culture is not the same as a fight to life and death with terrorists. This, this battle that we face regularly is not a battle with flesh and blood, but a battle with principalities in the spiritual realm. The book of Daniel is a book of warfare. And we must never miss that. But it doesn't look anything like taking over a plane from terrorists. Daniel is a book of spiritual warfare. A book where the power of God is shown to triumph over the power of Babylon. 
in Persia. A book where we discover that though it seems in the physical world that the gods of Babylon and Persia have overwhelmed and overcome the God of Israel, that the truth couldn't be further from that. Because the truth is that the God of Israel had not and has not left his throne. He is still in charge and he will have his way. The question this morning that we're wrestling with is how can you live, how must you live for Christ in a pagan culture? And the answer is that we must live as Daniel did. We want to fight tooth and nail, but often the most important things that we're going to do is to live faithfully as followers of Christ. So how can you do that? Normally when we get to the book of Daniel, here's what we like to do. We like to run straight to what happens in a fiery furnace or perhaps in the lion's den. And we get excited. We, we, we love to tell the stories about these young men who served faithfully. And they matter and they're important. When we do that, we kind of neglect some important facts of these stories. Do you know that neither Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, nor Daniel thought they are going to live through their ordeals? Not one of them expected to live. They didn't find themselves in a pagan culture and decide, we're going to overthrow this government, live through the fire, and lay down with the lions. They found themselves in a pagan culture and decided that they wouldn't be defined by their pagan culture. How can you live in a pagan culture? Choose to be defined by Christ rather than the culture around you. Choose to be defined by Christ rather than the culture around you. What's that look like? There's four things I want us to see in Daniel this morning. The first thing is that you've got to live with integrity. Live with integrity. Daniel was distinguished among his peers. He had an excellent spirit. Now, when the Bible teaches us that he had this excellent spirit, understand there's an understanding of a supernatural touch here, that, that the Holy Spirit of God had rested upon Daniel in such a way that Daniel was given uh, a supernatural blessing from the Lord. So let's not miss that, but let's also not miss the fact that everybody around him who wanted to get at him recognized that they didn't have any weapons at their disposal that they could use. They didn't have anything they could say to Daniel that would stick. Daniel was a man of impeccable character. He was a man of integrity. Listen, it, as Christians in a pagan culture, even if the culture wasn't pagan, but we live in a lost culture, and we, we should acknowledge that. As Christians living in this unchristian culture, we've got to set it as our goal to live with such high integrity that if somebody says something bad about us, that people around us would assume that that person is telling a lie. When's the last time that you knew somebody, somebody came to you and they said, hey, this person did so and so, and you just went, there's no way. I can't imagine that they would do that. Folks, that's the kind of integrity that we're talking about. When they come and they say they did that, you just have to scratch your head and go, there is just no way that I could imagine that that person would have done that thing. Do people think that about you? Or when somebody talks about embezzling money, they go, well, I mean, maybe. When they talk about cheating on your spouse, they go, well, I mean, that she, she does have wandering eyes. He is very flirtatious. The Bible says that when they tried to pin something on Daniel, they didn't have anything. Nothing. As a matter of fact, what they said was, the only hope that we have is that maybe we can figure out something that has to do with the worship of his God, and then we can pin that on him. But otherwise, we are completely out of luck. 
This morning we've ordained deacons. There's the specific set of, 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 of expectations for deacons. We're going to go back to that even though we've already read it this morning. We're going to run back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to read this. And I want you to listen. Again, I cannot get these pages turned this morning. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must, or likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the Lord. Folks, let me ask you this question. How does this list sound different than if we simply said Christians likewise must be? Do you understand that the qualification for elder, the qualification for deacon, the qualification for, qualifications for leading in the local church are not that you're supposed to be some varsity level Christian and everybody else is JV. The expectation, this is what a Christian is supposed to look like. A Christian is supposed to be dignified, not double-tongued, people of integrity that love the Lord wholeheartedly. This is supposed to be every single member of Malvern Hill Baptist Church, every single member of every church across this great land. People who are committed to Jesus are supposed to be people of integrity. You don't simply get to say, well, I'm not a leader in the church, so it doesn't matter. No! Only thing that Paul is saying is, hey, those people that you set aside for leaders had better be doing what they're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus. If you're like me and you grew up in the church in the 80s and the 90s, then you loved DC Talk, right? Those of you that can remember that. And if you didn't, there's the door. You can leave. It's okay. But they've got, they've got the, the very beginning of one of their songs, and I don't, I don't even know where it came from. I never have researched it. But the, the quote there is that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is those who what? Who walk out, claim Christ and walk out the door and deny Him with their lifestyle. Folks, how often are people turned off of Christ because people who claim to be followers of Christ do not live like Christ? How can we make the greatest impact in a pagan culture? Folks, what if we looked like little Jesus is running around everywhere we went? What if we lived in such a way that the world couldn't find anything negative to say about us unless it pertained to our commitment to our God? How can you, how must you live as people of integrity, or people of, of, of uh, oh, commitment to Christ in a pagan culture? Live with integrity, first of all. The second thing this morning is you need to dig firm foundations. Dig deep, firm, rock, solid foundations. Let's run back to Daniel chapter 1 in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said, Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with the king? And Daniel said uh, to the steward of the chief of the <coughs> eunuchs, had assigned over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listen to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. Listen, 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who the other three are that are listed right there. Remember, we get all these different names. They get the Hebrew names and they get their, their, um, their Babylonian names. But they've been taken out of their homeland as young people at this point and taken into this foreign land in exile. And in this place, these young men are committed to following the Lord even though their whole world is turned upside down. Listen, it's not like Daniel woke up somewhere. Daniel was not a young man when he was thrown into the lion's den. We tell it in, in, in these little children's stories, but the reality is this is a 60 or 70-year-old man who's cast into this, or man who's cast into this den of lions. He was building his faith as a teenager taken into captivity. Folks, we've got to dig firm foundations. Daniel had been living his life to please the Lord for a long time. He had built his house on the rock. How deep are your foundations? I don't know why we get this sort of idea in our mind, but we have this thought that, well, when the time comes that I'll sort of rise up and I'll be, I, I, I'll be everything God called me to be. If you're a Gamecock fan, we're seeing that that's not true, aren't we? I know, I'm with you, right? But listen, you don't get to pull a coach off the sidelines and make him a quarterback and expect him to throw for 400 yards. But a whole lot of y'all are living your Christian life like you can stand on the sidelines your whole life and when the game time comes, they'll be able to call you in and you're going to light up the scoreboard for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We got to dig those firm foundations, making those decisions daily to get up and to get into God's Word, to pray, to, to share God's good news with others, to live lives of integrity day after day, year after year. We've got to be the kind of people who are regularly growing in godliness and in grace. So that when the time comes, we're ready. We're prepared. When the time came for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, he didn't go, oh my goodness, here it is. It wasn't like this moment appeared and Daniel said, I'm going to begin my protest today. I'm going to begin getting ready. Daniel had been preparing for his entire life for this moment how deep are your foundations how deep have you dug those foundations what is the most important thing that you can do to grow in your christian life it is reading god's word regularly period there is nothing that you will do that will change you and help you to grow as a follower of Christ more than reading God's Word. That's why this year we're reading through the Bible together as a church. Some of you are, 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 are listen, you're, you're understanding for the very first time how challenging that is. You kind of have your tongue hung out. You're panting for breath because you're trying to keep up with all that Bible reading. It's a lot to consume in a year because you're kind of reading it at, at, at 30,000 feet. But folks, whether you choose to read it at 30,000 feet this year or whether you choose to do it a little bit slower and it takes you three years to get through God's Word, Regular, daily consumption of God's Word is the best way for you to grow strong roots. I learned when we did the construction here at the church several years back, we have some trees out front and we have trees in the back that were planted. The trees that are out front were planted on purpose. There's some trees on the playground that were planted by accident. They were leftover trees and we had leftover trees so we used them there on the playground. Those leftover trees don't have irrigation around them because they were sort of an afterthought. These trees at the front are two to three times the size of those trees in the back. Now the irrigation those trees get in the front is drip irrigation. You know what that means? There's like a little dropper that just doop, 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 drops water in them. 
How much water are they getting a day? Not a whole lot. You know what it doesn't take? It doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes a little bit over a long period of time. And with a little bit over a long period of time, God grows those trees into something incredible. Do you know that with a little bit of God's word over a long period of time, God's going to build you up into something that he can use? But you've got to dig down deep, plant those firm foundations, spread those roots, be strengthened in the Lord. Daniel had been doing this his entire life. Dig firm foundations. Third, this morning, know your enemy. Do you know that Daniel knew that these people were out to get him? Look right down there in verse 10. It says, when he knew the letter had been signed. When he knew it. When he knew that it had been signed. Daniel was well aware of what was going on. Daniel knew what they were doing. And when the document had been signed, Daniel knew it. Folks, our first responsibilities are to live with integrity and dig our foundations deep. But it is good for us to know what the enemy is doing. And it's also good for us to know when the enemy is actually there and when it's made up in our minds. If we're not careful, we can see the devil around every corner, can't we? If we're not careful, we can make out an enemy where there isn't an enemy. We actually saw some of this... um, we've actually seen some of this in the last 18 months with some of the COVID shutdowns, right? We saw some state governments who sought to overreach and sought to impose particular onerous um, requirements upon churches that they didn't place upon anybody else. Now, these were not across-the-board regulations, but specific regulations geared toward churches. And in those moments, it was important for churches to understand what was being done so that churches could respond appropriately. My position here at Malvern Hill was always the same as long as, and our, our, our governor actually never put any imposition on churches, but if there were across-the-board um, regulations put in, and if they said there was, couldn't be a gathering of greater than, say, 100 people, and that mattered at schools and at churches and at protest marches and at, at uh, you know, campaign rallies and everywhere else, and I would say, we must, we should abide by these regulations as long as we can. But when those regulations began to be specifically geared towards the church, for instance, and when they were not applied equally across the board, I felt like it would be our responsibility as the church to actually move against those regulations. Because there are going to be times when we need to know what's happening in the world around us so that we can respond appropriately. Daniel knew what was going on. He knew. He didn't just stick his head in the dirt and go, well, it's going to all be okay. Daniel was digging his foundations. Daniel was living with integrity. But Daniel was was reading the newspaper every day, too. Daniel was listening to what was going on in the world around him. Folks, we need to be in the world but not of the world kind of people. We need to know what's happening within the world around or in the world around us. Daniel did that. And as a result, Daniel was prepared to do this fourth thing, which was to pursue faithfulness. Don't get excited. You're probably not going to get out of here early because I'm probably going to get a little, little long on this last minute. I don't know why in all of my years. I preached through Daniel many years ago here at Malvern Hill. Uh, I read through the Bible almost every single year uh, for probably the past two decades. I don't know why this had never jumped out at me until this week. But it just leapt off the page at me this week. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew it. But then keep reading. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I don't know why this had never jumped out for me like it did this past week. When Daniel knew that they had signed this document specifically geared to get him thrown into the lion's den, Daniel went home and he didn't close the windows. Daniel did as he had done previously. Daniel kept right on doing what Daniel had been doing. Listen to me. Living faithfully in a pagan culture, if we're doing it the right way, what it should mean is that we keep right on doing what we've always been doing regardless of what the world around us tells us we should do. This is where I get to meddling. So hold on a minute. Because unfortunately what I see oftentimes is this rebellious spirit within people where when things shift, they want to do new things that they haven't always done simply because they want to be in opposition to what somebody else has to say. So let me explain what I mean. Right? Daniel had always been praying. Imagine if in this particular situation Daniel had lived opposite of the Lord for his entire life and the government says you can't pray to Jesus and Daniel goes oh yes I will you watch me folks how many Christians do you know how many of you can look in the mirror and say that you've been that caustic Christian that hadn't thought a minute about talking to anybody about Jesus Loving people in the name of Jesus. Until somebody said something at a restaurant or at a checkout counter that seemed to you to not be in in favor of of Christianity or of Jesus. And rather than loving the name of Jesus, you said, God loves you. How many of you, and I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm the pastor. So people like to tell me their good stories. How many people come to me and said, I stood there and I just kept on saying it until they said, God loves you too. Like, if that's who you are, then be that person. We'll come back to my favorite pet peeve, right? They didn't tell me Merry Christmas, so I said it as loud as I could. Merry Christmas! Why? Have you spoken about Christ for the rest of your life? Or did you only speak about Christ because you wanted to protest somebody else? Daniel did not become a thorn in the flesh of the government magically. Daniel kept right on doing what he had been doing. I'm not telling you you shouldn't speak for Christ when the times get hard. I'm telling you if you only do it then, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. What you should be doing is testifying to Christ's goodness today and tomorrow and every day beyond that. The Great Commission wasn't given to us to use as a bludgeoning instrument against those who don't hold to our uh, principles. The Great Commission was given so that we may seek and save the lost and bring them with us to Jesus. Kind of got out of breath on that one. Listen, there are times... Daniel went home. And Daniel prayed. Daniel didn't stand on the street corner and pray. Daniel didn't run and find those people and pray in their face. Daniel just did what Daniel's been doing. Listen to me. If you go to lunch today and you look over and you see that guy that you know doesn't love the Lord, your appropriate response is not to say you're blessing three decibels louder so that he can hear you. 
It's not. Your appropriate response is to love him in the name of Jesus. Well, let's keep going. Daniel didn't try to pick a fight. He, he, he just didn't bow down. Do you understand? This is an old man. He didn't try to pick a fight. He just didn't bow down. Except to his God. You know, there are times when praying in secret is the most godly thing a person can do. So let me just say that real quickly. When, when, when Christianity is popular and when we're celebrated for our faith, running into our prayer closet is the most faithful thing that we can do. You understand that? Because otherwise it may, it may cause us to be prideful and arrogant as we use our well-crafted prayers that Jesus warned us about. But for Daniel, the most faithful thing he could do was make sure that his windows stayed open. Because praying in public was the most courageous and faithful thing that Daniel could do in this moment. Daniel kept right on praying. Listen, they were spying on Daniel. Do you understand? What did it say? It said it was up on his second floor. Now, if you know a little bit about the ancient Near East, the windows were not down here. The windows were up high to make sure that you didn't have intruders and to keep people from staring in if you're changing your clothes. Wasn't like he had bowed down at this full-length window. He got down. Somebody had to get up and look in that window. We caught you, Daniel. We caught you. And Daniel says, okay, you did. A few hours, I'm going to be doing the same thing. Because I'm not doing it for you. I'm just doing what I've been doing. Folks, if you're living for Christ, when difficulty comes, you won't have to stage a protest. You'll just have to keep on doing what you've been doing. If you're living for Christ, when difficulty comes, you won't have to stage a protest. You'll just have to keep on doing what you've been doing. Your life will be protest enough. How can you live for Christ in a pagan culture? First thing I think it's important for us to do is to just acknowledge that our culture is no longer a Christian culture. Was our culture founded on Judeo-Christian principles? Absolutely. But so much of our culture no longer seeks to honor Christ or even to live in a way that represents Christian morality. So once we've acknowledged that, then we have to say, okay, what do we do to live faithfully as witnesses for Christ in this unchristian pagan culture and what do we do first thing is we need to be really decent human beings live with integrity we need to dig those firm foundations when today today if you wait until the time the, the, the hard times come you won't get it done in the middle of the storm is not the time to stake your tent do it today so that you can withstand the storms of life. That's why Jesus urged us to plant our house or to build our house on the rock. Know your enemy. And, and, and remember, the ultimate enemy is who? It's, it's Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. And finally, pursue faithfulness. Just keep on keeping on. The goal for our life should be that we live in such a way. That when persecution comes, I don't have to jump up and down and help people to know that I'm here for Jesus. That people just know. Folks, let's just be honest. We need to live our lives in such a way 
And I, I don't believe we're going to see this in our country, okay? At least not in my lifetime. But we should live our lives in such a way that if persecution were to come, they don't actually have to hunt us down. They kind of know who we are, right? They, they don't have to go door to door and go, anybody know anything about the Thompsons living over there on that street? <laughs> Everybody knows something about the Thompsons living over there on that street. Like you can set their clock because they're at church all the time. I see them out there reading their Bibles. Rumor is that they actually talk about Jesus over there. Like that should be our reputation. That's how we live for Christ. But folks, how else do we live for Christ? We've got to bring it all the way back to the other one who went down to a pit, don't we? See, we're not even going to talk about Daniel too much in the lion's den because really and truly the story was made before Daniel ever got to the lion's den. We like to focus on that part because that's the, that's the fun part. But it was the hard part that got him there. The Bible teaches us that Daniel went down in there and the angels closed the mouths of those lions. Daniel emerged from the pit. He escaped death. But our greatest hope is not that Daniel went into the lions and walked out. Our greatest hope is that Jesus went into the pit and died for us and walked back out. Oh, if we're not careful, we can read Daniel and the lions and go, how are you going to defeat your lions? I'm here to tell you the lions will eat you. The only hope you have is Jesus Christ who descended into the pit, who descended into death and rescued you and me from our sin. How can you live for Christ in a pagan world? Folks, it doesn't begin in protest. It begins in surrender to the one who died so that you could live. Daniel was delivered from death. Jesus delivered us through his death. And so this morning, I'm preaching a sermon that could easily get wrapped up into one of these rah-rah protest sermons. And instead, I'm going to ask you, don't protest against anything. Surrender to Christ. See, Daniel overcame because his God overcame on his behalf. Daniel had lived his life turning away from the culture around him. Daniel had lived his life embracing the holiness of the God who had delivered him. And in the end, God saved him from the lions. Folks, Jesus died to save you from your sin. Daniel had lived a life of surrender from his teenage years. Some of you are not living a life surrendered to Christ's commands on your life. You're living a life surrendered to our pagan culture. You've embraced our, our culture's ideals of materialism. You've embraced our culture's ideals of sexuality. You've embraced our culture's understandings of morality. You've looked at God's word and you said, well, that's a decent suggestion, but I want to live my life this way. And I'm coming to you today and I'm asking you to perform your greatest protest against this culture by surrendering to the Christ of another culture. A Christ who would deliver you from your sin, from your sin and who would give you hope and a future. Some of you are followers of Jesus, but you've not been living with integrity. You're followers of Jesus, but you've not been digging your foundations. You're followers of Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, nobody really even knows. You're followers of Jesus, but you've not pursued faithfulness. Today needs to be a day of repentance for you. You need to say, Lord, I want to be like Daniel. Just every day. 
chipping away at the sin in my life and allowing you to become more and more my God. But here's what I know. I know there's some of you that are here today or maybe watching at home on TV. And today, you need to say, I'm turning away from the sin of the culture, the sin that entangles me, the sin that feels good to me. I'm going to walk away from pornography. I'm going to walk away from... <clears throat> From, from, from hypersexuality. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to walk away from these things and, and I'm going to turn to Christ. I'm going to walk away from my sin and I'm going to turn toward Jesus. Some of you say, I want to do it, but I don't know how. I don't know what. I, know, I want you to know this. The minute that you turn from your sin, Jesus will meet you right there. Right there. He died so that you could live. He died to make you whole. This morning we're going to sing, and as we sing, if you'd like to know more about how this Jesus can save you, if you're here with us this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. I'd like to talk with you about that. Maybe, maybe give you to somebody who, who could pray with you. Maybe you're here and you say, Craig, I, I know what you're saying is true, but Craig, I'm so deeply committed to my sin that I don't know how I can ever be set free. Can I pray for you today? But again, some of you are just Christians who today may need to come to this altar and just pray that the Lord would give you courage to live your life like Daniel, not in protest, but in surrender to the God who died to save you. As we stand and as we sing this morning, would you allow the Lord to do a work in your life? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would move among us. Lord, help us to trust you above all else. Father, if there's some here today who are wrapped up in their sin, tangled up in their sin, Lord God, or God, perhaps shame has taken root, or maybe the accuser of the devil himself is whispering in their ear that God can't save you. God, would you set them free today? Would you remind them that the God who could shut the mouths of lions and raise his son from the dead could deliver them, Lord God, from their sin? Move among us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all come as the Lord leads.